Welcome back. WNST, Towson, Baltimore, and Baltimore Positive. We, uh, we've got the gear out now, Don Moeller and I doing, you know, we did a segment, Don and I, at number 100. We did a segment, I think, at 250. We never really did a segment to launch the new website here. And really, all of it's been brought forth by our incredible sponsors. I'm going to tell you about the Harker Brothers in a minute, but I want to talk specifically about Fadley's and about State Fair because they were the first two sponsors to come aboard. Uh, I'm going to be doing a little bit of a tour later in the week here, just in time for Christmas, where uh, I'm going to stop by and just get a, a whole refrigerator. My freezer's full of Taharka, but the refrigerator's I'm going to get. I'm going to get a bookmaker. I'm going to get some meatballs and a pizza over at Franco's to honor Lou wine camp. I'm going to stop by State Fair. I'm definitely taking chicken fingers home uh, with some salad because I love their chicken. The chicken they put on the waffles is amazing. Uh, probably take some shrimp and grits home for breakfast the next morning. I'm going to go buy El Guapo and I think they're, he did me like a whole deconstructed like fajita taco thing last time and guacamole and chips. Perfect for me, so I'm going to do that. But we've talked so much about sponsorships and Fadley's, and I got to get some crab cakes. Coach Billick had those. Uh, we also have Moeller and Gary Realty, but we moved the entire thing to a new platform now. And our first big promotion here is we get up on it. Don Moeller, I want to show you some, uh, some empty soldiers, as we say in the business. Cookie dough, gone. These are lit- this is legitimate. Th- these were full. Pumpkin spice latte, gone. You, well, there's a little bit in the bottom. If you see there, I didn't really wash it out as good as I could have. Hold on here. Sweet potato crumble. You know I didn't leave any of that in there for you. There's a little bit on the side there. If you see, in the, you know, a little bit there, you can see the sweet potato. And then there's just your basic uh, caramel apple. Oh, I, I left a little bit in the lid there for you. So if you can clean that out, the caramel apple crisp. Don, how you doing on your flavors? How you doing on your well, discount? Saving money I, and this, and you're looking forward to this segment more than anything because you're <laughs> about to play James Lipton with you. Absolutely, right? Nestor Apricio. This is your life. I have to tell you that obviously I made a major mistake, and I will have to rectify it right after the holidays because you told me to order the sweet potato crumble, and since then several folks have reached out to me and said. Don, I hope you got the sweet potato. And I love that scene in Animal House where (laughs) they're like, he says to him, Flanders, like, you effed up. You trusted right, me. You right, know what I mean? Right. This is the difference between Baltimore positive and trusted information here. This is trusted information and has been since 1991, since December 13th, that if I say it, I believe it, and it's full-throated, harmonious, and, and even when I'm incorrect, I, I'm still not off by much. There, there still was good intention, and I feel like I gave you the best information I can give you. And then you just don't use it. You're like I my son it. for the first 30 years of his life. Now my son actually listens to me. <laughs> and I don't understand why I did not order the sweet potato crumble because I actually love sweet potatoes. So I will, um, I Don, will here's rec- what I'm going to do. And, and, I'll like, and I, if, <laughs> if my wife hears this segment and she probably will, cause you're going to try to make me cry in this segment, um, that I have one spare pint of sweet potato crumble. Is there any other flavor you didn't get that you want? Uh, Seriously. Um, uh, you know, I didn't get that, uh, that what is it the mint chip peppermint bark or, you didn't get the peppermint yes, bark yeah okay i'll trade you two I'll are trade you an you eggnog guy the, or are you not eggnog I, we're, we're in the middle of the eggnog right now for those of you this is nestor and don doing all things ice cream well i mean i'm just being honest we gotta I'm get telling you I'll, I'll trade you i'll trade you two that i have in the i freezer. love you i'm not gonna trade with just the, the holiday season if i the, uh, have sweet extra potato. sweet potato crumble and i don't and i mean like a third or fourth pint because you're not getting the first two you know if there's a third one you're entitled to uh, Don, you wanted to do this segment, and I, I'm, you know, you fancy yourself the host. You are the teacher. I am the student. <laughs> you know, I mean, we really, this is where we are. I, really, I don't know what I fancy myself. I, well, I fancy honestly, myself. can I ask you before the whole thing? Two As years this ago this from week. The bill who's had a, no, a, a nice life. You two know? years what? ago this week, you were being feeded, and I was taking selfies. And if I find the picture, I'll find it where I'm taking the picture of you and me. I don't know what day you left county office, but it was December something, 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 wasn't it? Yeah, December, December 4th or 5th. Yeah, right around this time. 
Okay. All right. So, you know, like we, I took pictures. I talked you into doing this. I think you did it because you love me and you wanted to be my friend. I don't think you realized like what you were getting into and doing this. I think you've enjoyed it. But now that there's been a vision, because you didn't want me to run for mayor. You didn't like flat out as a friend, as as an (laughs) uncle, as all that. And I didn't. And now we're going to take on Brandon Scott about taking the city, shutting things down and Johnny O and Stuart Pitt. Like we're going to go back into all that. But two years ago, I asked you to do this. Did, we never envisioned a plague. We, we didn't envision any of it. We didn't envision Lamar Jackson at that point, right? No, no we didn't. And, uh, and I'm very proud of the content. Folks who have list, listened, I think we've given a real variety, long-form interviews. Uh, you know, for example, in, in the some, – some There time it is. There the, it is, Don. I just want to show it. November 30, <laughs> 2018. There it is. Hey, okay? You, you know so this why. was your last day, and I said right. today he leaves this impressive seven-month run as Baltimore County Executive, and I just want everyone to know that Don Moeller has been a guiding light and a positive influence on me and my family since I was 13 years old. So proud of his work and humbled by my lifelong friendship. One day we'll sit at a Ravens home game together. Uh, until then, uh, he, he, I will remain what he always encouraged me to be since the day he met me, the Chris Thomas of Baltimore Sports. And here I am not even like doing Chris Thomas well, stuff anymore. So. For those of you listening, and not watching the YouTube version of, of this. Nestor just put up a, a, a Facebook post that he put the day that they uh, humbled me by hanging my picture uh, in the county office building. And I joke now because Spiro Agnew is getting so much uh, discussion as a result of not only Rachel Maddow's podcast, but she's now written a book called Bagman, where Spiro Agnew, former Baltimore County executive and vice president for Richard Nixon, was actually taking brown bags of money in the basement of the White House, one of the most despicable acts that a public I follow the ghost of uh, Spiro Agnew on Twitter. Just amazing. But I always joke that because of where the pictures are hung in that hallway, for better or worse, I look at Spiro for the rest of my life (laughs) until I get moved down a few spots once they hang Johnny and others. So I look right across the hallway at Spiro. But Nestor, this really is, you had mentioned to me not long ago, that's amazing. You said, you know, 29 years. And I looked it up. Sure enough, December the 13th, 1991, this young guy from Dundalk begins his radio career. Here we are 29 years later. It's why I always say, and everybody that knows me, knows that I always say, don't ever bet against Nestor. But what I'd like you to do, I'm going to do two things, really. One, I want, to talk, I want you to talk about how that happened. How did, how did you end up on the air December the 13th, 1991? And then we're really going to go back in the Wayback Machine because I really want to talk about you growing up in Colgate because I think it's a story you allude to it from time to time, but I, I don't know that people really grasp it. But take us back to December the 13th, 1991, and tell us how that happened. Uh, well, I, I, anybody that knew me during that period of my life knows that I wanted to be, and I kid about being Oscar Madison. I guess I wanted to be um, Mitch Album at that time. I, I read Mitch Album. He was a bit of a, a, a spirit for me at that time. And this is before Tuesdays with Mari, before he became great. He was a, he was a great, great sports writer a great columnist, a great writer, a wordsmith. He was funny. This is before I ever saw him on television. It was before he was ever famous, okay? So I would read great writing, and all I wanted to do was be a writer. Um, So I didn't think of myself in like a Hemingway kind of way, but I loved The Catcher in the Rye. I would have loved to have written that kind of a book. Um, And at this time in my life, all I wanted to do was be a writer. So Don, I'll be honest with you. I mean, the fact that I've become famous for radio is really, really not at all what I would have thought I would have done with my life, unless I would have been a rock jock. I I would have thought maybe along a Howard Stern or a Grease Man, and I listened to the Grease Man a lot in the 80s. Anybody listening to me in the 90s probably knows that I listened to Howard Stern and the Grease Man, and more of my, my act on the radio was more like that than like Rex Barney or Josh Lewin or Josh or Jeff Rimmer, Josh Rimmer's son. Um, so where I was in my life in 1991, the fascinating part is I found a picture 
that I shared on Facebook. And if, if you're maybe if you're watching, what I should do is is just share the picture because the picture would probably be more of because it reminded me of where I was in my life because I I knew you were going to ask me this stuff right. Now, so how, how old are you, Nestor? In 1991, let's 1991. I'm I'm 22. Uh, I'm not 23 yet. Yeah, I was twenty. I turned 23 in October. No, I just turned 23. October 91. I turned 23. And the story, I'll pull this picture up here, because this is from Mike Rosigliano. This was given to me the day that I left um, the, the, the Evening Sun. So my pathway was in 84. I, I was at the, um, at the News American. And then in 86, I went to the Evening Sun. And I was a music critic, which is all the old interviews with David Bowie and stuff that you find at Baltimore Positive. But I love the Houston Oilers. And this picture of me sort of chained to the agate desk was my life, which was I did the scoreboard page uh, for, the, for the paper. And there's Oiler. I used to always mess up the lottery picks. So they would give me a hard time about that. And I interviewed, I played tennis with Engelbert Humperdinck. So there are all these little in-jokes in here. But the Houston Oiler thing and Love You Blue, in here, TV intern, uh, you know, talk show host, hockey writer, music critic, oiler head, all that stuff. So that's who I was in 1991. I love the Houston Oilers. I love rock and roll. I had a backstage pass at Hammerjacks. I had been trying to write for Rolling Stone. I had tried to get a sports writing job. I had flown to Miami at the Miami Herald to get a job there. I had been offered a beat writer job for the Green Bay Packers in Appleton, Wisconsin. I turned down a chance to go to uh, Anchorage, Alaska and work for the Anchorage Daily News as the beat writer for the Alaska Anchorage college hockey team. Uh, And I had actually sought out an NHL player who played there to ask him about life in Anchorage. So there's all sorts of things could have been my life, Don. So I I guess that's, did you know any of that? that that I like, I didn't, know with, there, I didn't know there was an Alaska connection. <laughs> almost, you were almost Sarah Palin. I Don, did not know if that. you really want to do this the right way, um, we'll do another segment a couple of weeks from now, maybe after Christmas, because I have to go through some stuff. But I would love to pull out all the rejection letters that I, that I received from every literally every newspaper in the country. I have a form rejection letter from the New York Times, from the Washington Post, from Rolling Stone, from Time Magazine. The only publication that took a chance on me, Don, and I bet you don't know this, Playboy commissioned me to write a story about my relationship with my son in 1990. Uh, So I I had a pregnant girlfriend when I was 15 years old. So I was raising my son at this time. So you ask who I was in 1991. I had a seven-year-old son. I was 23. I was leaving the newspaper. My father had dementia at the time. He was about to die. And he was pissed at me for leaving the paper that I wasn't going to get a gold watch. I mean, and as much as you and I've done with save our son and talking to Joan Jacobson, who I remember from back in the day with the union and talking to Michael Lesker and Dan Rodericks and the people we've had on the show, my thoughts about Phil Jackman and his family um, and, and all of that and building Baltimore positive harkens me back to that point in my life where I wanted to be a newspaper editor. I wanted to be a layout editor. I wanted to be an executive editor. The picture that Rasig drew of me when I left the Evening Sun was an image, and I'd love to share that with you if I could find it. I think I may have put it out on on Facebook at one point in my life. I wish I were more prepared for this because um, Rasig did a thing, and his image when I left the News American was the image of me as the publisher of the sun. Now I was 17 years old when he drew that. Okay. So when I was 17 years old, Rasig's sense of humor, but his view of my life was that I was going to go to the Baltimore sun and take over and become the publisher. The, The image Don is me sitting with my feet up like this in a cartoon with publisher and light for all. And, I, and if I find that, I'll share that. And if you and I do this again in a couple of weeks, when I'm a little bit more prepared to share my, this is my life. So in 1991, I left the sun because they offered me almost a year's pay to leave. 
So I was offered $30,000, you know, like a, a life, you know, a, a salary. A, a lot of money to a, a lot of money to a 23 year old. Right. I had, they offered me 40 weeks of pay, my vacation time. And I never took vacation because I love working. I didn't want a vacation. All I wanted to do was go to Hammerjacks and interview Judas Priest and go to Softball Diamonds and interview softball players and go down to the Capitol Center and wait for Terry Murray or go down to Skip Jackson. I mean, I did the math on this, Don. This is unbelievable. Do the math, okay? You got a pen? I was at the Sun for six years and nine days. I started at the Sun on January the 6th, 1986, by the grace of, of Jack Gibbons, Mike Marlowe, Bob Nuscart, Molly Dunham, who all believed in me. I left January 15th, which is Martin Luther King Day, 1992, and I picked up my check. I put it in the bank, then Loyola Federal. I think that became Rosedale Federal. I'm not sure. Shout out to Kevin Benson. And I got in my Jeep uh, that I bought at Antwerp and Jeep on Route 40 West. Shout out, Jack. Um, and I drove my Jeep with John Rafalitis to the Super Bowl that where uh, Thurman Thomas forgot his helmet out in Minnesota. John Stebman got me two tickets on the 50-yard line for that Super Bowl, and Donald Trump sat five rows in front of me. I sat with Nat Moore at that Super Bowl, Don. So that, that was my life. My life was Kenny Albert asked me, to do radio. Nestor, you think you could do some New York style sports radio? And, um, and I started to do radio. And the reason I left was I took a buyout and I was going, I, it gave me a year to find a newspaper job somewhere else. And I never did. I, I wound up starting radio. And so the day I walked into that radio studio, I was literally just hanging out with Kenny Albert because he asked me to. N never even thinking I would ever have a, a radio career. Never wanted a radio career. Um, all I wanted was a job at the Philadelphia Inquirer covering the Flyers or something like that. That was going to be my life path. Did, that, did I do a good job answering it? You're on mute. That's a 2020. <laughs> Leonard Raskin said that's the, the, the phrase of the year is you're on mute. It is. Everybody tries to be so good, tries to mute, and then forgets to, uh, to unmute. You know, you mentioned Loyola Federal. That's interesting because, uh, <clears throat> again, we talk about all the connections in small Baltimore, but a, a good friend who recently passed away, Joe Mossmiller, was their CEO and chair <clears throat> for a long time. I, I think, what we'll to double check, I think Loyola Federal actually became Maryland National. Well, uh, We'll have to look that up and, 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 and check. They were upstairs at Hutzler's and they kept, they great, kept better hours. Great institution. So when, once you started, Nestor, to, to do radio. They became SunTrust, by the way, but go ahead. SunTrust, there you go. So we got the connection. Shout out to Bill to, McCarthy. Uh, go ahead. And, and to, uh, to, uh, to, Don, and to uh, Don Hutchinson. Um, so was it love at first, you know, uh, moment when you jumped on the, the radio with Kenny Albert and you thought, Hey, I like this. I'm pretty good at this. I can make a career out of this. I wasn't sure I knew enough to be really, I, I mean, every day I doubted how much I knew and you know, I keep notes. This is weeks worth of notes, right? But literally I would come in. Um, I, I started as a co-host. Have I ever told you about the time Marv Albert left me? Have I told you that story? Marv or Kenny? Marv. No, no. Oh, wow. Okay. So dig, if you will, the picture. It, so I started doing radio with Kenny on December the 13th of 1991. Glenn Davis was an Oriole. Camden Yards had just closed. You were eight weeks removed from crying over Camden Yards or, 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 or Memorial Stadium closing. Camden Yards was about to open. So in, in, this is uh, the winter of 91 into 92. And the Super Bowl was the Redskins who just won the Super Bowl. During that four-month period of time, Don, the, the Albertville or the uh, Olympics happened in France. And Marv Albert got called to do the NBC games. John Davidson was the voice of the Islanders. He left to go do something, to take Marv's job. 
And the Islanders hired Kenny Albert to call three weeks of hockey games. So the Kenny Albert show, this show was originally called Sports Forum with Kenny Albert. And it was founded by a guy named Jim Ward, who was a Philadelphia sports radio head from WCAU in Philadelphia. He loved the Phillies. He loved Philadelphia sports. And he and Paul Kapelke took over WITH, which is is an AM big band radio station with Rockin' Robin, um, Ken, Ken Jackson. And uh, Wayne Gruen, the, the late, great Wayne Gruen, who was a dear friend. Uh, Alan Field was also a part of that team. And, uh, and Will Taylor as well. Some old voices for any old-timers. Catons may remember those names. So WITH was at Five Light Street, which is about four blocks from the arena. And I was the Skipjack's beat writer. And it's, it's, it, it's important that, you, that I put all these dates together for you, Don, so you can put this together. But on Thanksgiving weekend of that year of 91, I went into the Baltimore Sun newsroom on that Sunday night. And I was a union member who had walked the picket line. I think we talked about that with Rafael Alvarez last month, uh, telling old David Simon stories. And there was a sign up on the wall that said buyouts available. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. I didn't like have to do it till like January the 6th to fill out the paperwork. But that night I started to like, get, like I say with the Lou wine cam, I started to get my fares in order to say, you know what? They're going to pay me for a year. And all I'm going to do is be sending out resumes. I'm going to leave open a DJ business. I'm going to buy a computer, which literally was un- unheard of. I did all of my college work on the work computer at the sun. And I went to UB cause I could park once. And I think I admitted that to Kurt Schmoke. We had him on, right? Uh, as well as talking about marijuana. We we also talked about parking downtown and my you know my uh, literary arts career at the University of Baltimore. So it, in November, I decided to leave the paper. Theoretically, Kenny Albert says, "Hey, want to come in and sit in on some radio?" Okay, so I'm doing that in December. Kenny got on buses and went to Binghamton, Fredericton, Springfield, you know, Utica, all these places. And there was nobody to do the show on a Tuesday night. And Jim Ward took a shine to me. He had tried to hire Charlie Ekman. He couldn't afford him. And Charlie was old. There was an old crotchety guy. What was his name? I can't even remember his name. There was a really old guy that they had given, you know, 20 bucks to to come and do it. And Jerry Coleman was also involved. Not that I want to mention his name, but there, I mentioned it. Um, Yeah, I mentioned it. So they threw him out quickly because he was... Well, we're going to stay Baltimore positive. Well, he, they, they threw him out quickly because he was incapable of doing it. Okay, and Jim Ward took to me... And he took to me in February and March. I really want to give you the basis of this because it became quick pouring cement, right? Because you became involved in this very quickly. You came into this story in April, and I know you did, okay? So between November when I left the sun in January and Kenny asking me in December and Kenny running off to do hockey games for the skipjacks on the road and then getting called to do Islanders games during the Olympics in like February and March. And then Kenny got the big call in April, right? Home team sports and WTOP hired Kenny for real. So like he was leaving the skipjacks, which was a temp. He was only with the skipjacks for five months. And he tells a story about like Barry Trotz was the coach and they were roommates. So when Trotz won the cup a couple of years ago, the skipjacks had no money. So Trotz is like, stay, stay in my room, Kenny. So Trotz and Kenny were roommates for six months. And then Kenny left this sports forum thing that never really existed, right? This was a, a concept in the mind of Jim Ward. And I was a broke kid trying to make my way, living on Cane Street. I had a computer and a DJ company and a little bit of hustle. And I went to Tony Tochterman at, at Tochterman's Fishing and Tackle. I found a wonderful man named Peter Martucci, who's still alive and has horses out in Frederick. He owned a place called Old Tools Fireside Inn at Georgia, uh, Georgia and, and Ritchie Highway, right next to this, where all the courthouses in downtown Glen Burnie. 
Uh, and, and Pepe Perella, who was the soccer coach at, at Curly, is a wonderful, wonderful man. He's got a lot of links. If anybody, uh, my heart to Pepe. Pepe uh, had a pepperoni's pizza and, and Pepper's Cafe over on Bel Air Road. And they all gave me $75 in cash a week and a $25 gift card. And, uh, and Peter Martucci was a member of Barter Systems. So these are my first three sponsors. And there was a, a wonderful man named Dave, uh, Dave Rausenberger, who sold radio. And, uh, and he lived over in, uh, on your side of town, right, right off of um, Route 40, right where the Chi-Chi's was, right in Woodlawn. And I would go over and pick him up. We would get in the car and we would drive up and down every road and walk with a briefcase. And I had hair down to my ass. And we would walk in the spring of 1992 into every single business we could find and introduce ourselves and say, I do sports radio on WITH. My name's Nestor Aparicio. And they would say, of course, are you related to Louie? Or they would say, oh, you're the guy that did the scoreboard from the newspaper. Oh, you're the guy from the Skipjacks. Oh, I saw you're in Hammerjacks. You did the David Bowie interview. You were the guy that did the thing with the new kids on the block. Hey, you were the guy that tried out for that John Buren thing on Channel 3. So that's who I was in um, March of 92. And then Camden Yards opened, and I called you, Dave Muir, and Tom Cap to do the first ever sports forum from the Bird's Huddle. Nest Cafe <laughs> on opening day in April of 92. So all that happened in those six months that I'm giving you that begat me trying to figure out how to do a radio show. I became Nasty Nestor because Kenny just literally disappeared and they got sick of Coleman and quickly. And like in April and May of that year, I had a, I had Rick Vaughn, made me park in the BC lot. He gave me parking and, you know, 3.6 million people that went to Oreo games that year. And I printed out little orange cards and I'll find them. And my son and I stood outside of the light rail every night. The show ended at seven o'clock. The Oreo game started at seven 30 and I would walk up to the light rail right where the sports legends is. And I would hand cards off to people as they got off the light rail and asked them to listen to my radio show. And I did that every single night. And then I went into the game on home games. I would hustle down to the locker room and talk to Brady Anderson, Cheeto Martinez, Rick Sutcliffe, Bill Murray, uh, the actor was always in the locker room because he and Sutcliffe were real close. Chris Hoyles was a part of, uh, of those teams. Um, and I befriended a bunch of baseball players, David Segui, uh, wow. Uh, Todd Froworth, Mark Williamson. I could go through Elrod, well, Johnny 19, Oates, 19, <laughs> the 92 19, Orioles. Yeah. And what, uh, you know, I want you to jump back for a second because I was struck and you, you, I'm a, we're going to go, we're going to go back and talk about some of the rejection letters. Cause I think there's a great, actually a great lesson there for, for young people, for all of us. But before we do thinking of 91, with a year that you actually jump on, December the 13th, you, you, um, you fancy yourself somewhat of a rock historian, which you are. Do you know what the – I'm going to give you a little quiz here. This is, this is your life. Do you know what the top song was in 1991? Nirvana smells like teen spirit. <laughs> I suppose I say to you, Brian Adams, does that help? Oh, everything I do, I do for you. Everything I do, I do for you. The top well, I played that at every <laughs> wedding, right? So, so Don, the, the real story here is the radio did not support me at all. I didn't make right. any money on the radio. I made money DJing weddings. Howard Cher and I, I, I used part of my buyout money. I used $2,000. And Batman, Mike Beatty, uh, down in Ocean City, sure. met me over at Gordon Miller Music. And we bought me equipment that so I could become a DJ like him because I want, I, I knew I could, I loved music. I liked girls. I was single. I liked bars. I liked beer. I liked sports. I, you know, I had an incredible music collection um, because I love music. So Howard Cher and I opened Critics Choice DJ Service. And I went down to Goose at Bay Cafe. I went to ha uh, Harvey uh, Myers at the Emerald Tavern. If, if I remember, sponsors. If, if I remember, I think you DJed. I DJed Lansdowne High School well, dance for you and your wife 
at a Sadie Hawkins dance at Lansdowne High School. You did that, and I think you DJ'd uh, my daughter Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer Lynch, I should say. I think you DJ'd her graduation party from Cadenzville In your backyard. High School, if I, if that's I correct. I did. So you know, you know what else? Here's a quick. But that's sport. what supported me. Just so you know, well, like I would go into Harvey at the Emerald Tavern, and I'd say, Harvey, I love the Oilers. You have a satellite dish. Give me seventy-five bucks a week. I'll yell your name on the radio. Pay me a uh, hundred bucks to DJ on Thursday and fifty bucks on Sunday, and I'll come and I'll hang out at the bar on Sunday and make. So Harvey would give me two hundred bucks a week and free beer, and they'd have potty parties, and I'd piece that together with $75 from Tochterman's, $75 from OT's Fireside Inn, and then and they would broker me the time. Jim Ward and Paul Kapelke brokered me the time, but they went out of business, and then they had to go find 1360, and we had to go into a garage out in Timonium, Dwight Weller's mother's garage, right behind the Royal Farms, right by Michael's Cafe, uh, you know, right by Curio Wellness, right at Timonium and York Road, the Lycos Pharmacy, right back in that neighborhood, we did. And I, you remember that, Don? You listened to the show from the garage, right? I mean, you remember oh, that? I, I, absolutely. I, I sneezed my ass off. I'm allergic to grass, so I was literally in a backyard. That was the summer of '93. No, two. Two. 92, we were there. Because 93, we were down at... Because, yeah, I did 93 All-Star Game. We were downtown at the Radisson Lord Baltimore by then. So it was the summer of... It was August of 92. This is how renegade we were, bro. You know what I mean? Like The fact that this has ever worked, that I'm still here 29 years later, is a tribute to Brian Billick and Terry Woods and Greg Prestel and Tom Cap and and Scott Panion and... Jay Pivik and just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people that have believed in me. I mean, like it's, I go to the Super Bowl every year, Don, there's no other AM radio station with a dude from the hometown who owns it. They're, they're just no such thing. I mean, it's completely, it's not even a unicorn. I, I mean, it's just, it, I don't, I don't, it's landing on the moon. What, I, what I've done here for 30 years no, with, without a doubt. And for those of you just, just tuning in, this is a very special edition of Baltimore positive talking about Nestor Aparicio and his 29 year anniversary, his journey on AM radio to WNST.net to Baltimore positive. Uh, it's dot com. It's been an amazing journey. Nestor, make sure you tell them it's all about the sponsors too. Tell them that. And it's, it's all important. about oh, amazing sponsors that we have from Fadley's and State Fair and and Franco's and Wine Camp Wine Camp and Mower and Gary Realty and Taharka Brothers Ice Cream. Uh, it, it really is uh, an amazing collection. Our friends at Ko Public Affairs, uh, Nestor. One of the things. There is a sports question, and, and this is not a sports segment, but you have such a great memory for this. I, I actually had to read it twice when I was lo- looking back 29 years ago. The Orioles in 1991 were god-awful. Terrible. You remember their record? I mean, roughly how many games they won? Yeah, you know, 67. Yeah, that's perfect. You hit it right on the head. 67. And 95. This is the part where I'm with my wife, and I'm like, but I don't know anything about sports. That's right. what I, I mean, would always that's say. That's amazing. Yeah. You hit it right on, the ne- right on the head, 67 and 95. But here's the crazy thing about one of your closest friends in sports over the years and someone that we've had on and you've had on many times. Cal Ripken Jr. is the <laughs> American League MVP. Well, that was the year he, you know, Toronto and the All-Star game, all that was, right? That, 67 and 95. I think he had 34 bombs that year and, and drove in 118 or something. is yeah. the MVP. I mean, it's absolutely uh, remarkable to me. So, uh, you know, you go back historically, you've got the first Gulf War, you've got uh, Bush the senior as the president. It's amazing what has happened in those 29 years. But Nestor, one of the things that I want you to, and I, and I don't want you to cry, but if you cry, you cry, but people have heard you. They, anybody who's followed you for years certainly knows your mom. I mean, your mom is famous for the, the Saturday morning breakfast. Your mom is famous for the crabs and beer. Uh, she, she is truly a Baltimore 
original. Um, but I think even though when people listen to you and your pops, he's famous. He was your little league coach. He was all things little league over in Colgate in Dundalk. Uh, would be so proud that you are in the Dundalk High School Hall of Fame. But I don't think people know the story of how you ended up with the folks you call mom and dad. Oh, really wow. Your stepmom. I don't think they know that. I think they know the name Aparicio and they hear about your mom, but they don't know as an infant that the folks who became your mom and dad weren't your mom and dad. And it really had to do with a neighborly connection. Yeah, um, I, I, you sort of need a scorecard. <laughs> when I, I try not to explain this to people because they, uh, they sort of get lost in the journey. So I've had to piece parts of this together as to how the Aparicio side of me wound up here. I did that in the aftermath of Frank Robinson's death, looking for a picture of Luis and Frank together. And I found a whole bunch of stories of Luis and why he wanted to leave Chicago, how how he wasn't content there and, and Bill Veck uh, and, and Frank Robinson legendarily had problems Cincinnati really speaks to what a mensch uh, Hofberger was in, in building the Orioles and bringing Aparicio and Frank Robinson here. So, well, when you say uncomfortable, Nestor, people may miss the, the inference there. It's uncomfortable because of the, the way they were treated racially. Correct. Oh, no, there's no question about that. Like that, that was something that um, look, all the baseball players were mistreated by, ownership right i mean it, it, it go read lords of the realm i've talked about that for 30 years as well but luis wound up in baltimore and two cousins my father and his brother wound up here um his brother was kind of famous his name was omar um his children are still here in america and still my age they're a little older than me they lived in timonium Omar was the wine sommelier at the Chesapeake restaurant. Therefore, Vince Bagley, John Stebman, Johnny Unitas, everyone of that era, Tom Matty, all of the, the um, chattering class, as you say, in Baltimore in the 60s and 70s knew my uncle, Omar, because of his association to Luis, but they really knew him because he ran the flaming pit, uh, you know, in, in, in Timonium uh, for Ordell Bracey. He ran the bonfire in Ocean City in the 70s in the disco era. So Omar, when I see people in the street, they, they know of Luis from baseball. They knew Omar if they were around Baltimore in the 70s. My father was Omar's brother. My father worked at Pantry Pride and at Mars Supermarkets as a night um, box. Um, uh, he was the night uh, like stock guy, right? He was a stock manager in the overnight to make sure that the green beans were where they were. He was the manager uh, at, at York and Ridgely at the Pantry Pride. So if anybody remembers that, it became a giant. I don't know what the heck it is now, but that was the Pantry Pride that my father worked at. Um, uh, my father and mother met in 1965, got married. My mother was um, 19 or 17 when she married him, 19 when she had me. So pictures of my mother and father, they got married at Our, La Our Lady of Fatima in 1965. Uh, so my mother had just turned 17. And my father was much older and Venezuelan, uh, both alcoholics, um, bad alcoholics. My mother was a bad alcoholic. Um, my father was a pretty bad alcoholic. So uh, I was born in 68. My mother's parents, so if, if you're following with the scorecard, my mother's parents and the people who raised me were neighbors in Essex. They became friends when they lived next door to each other in Mars Estates. And when I say Mars Estates, this is Pizza John's. Pizza John's is two blocks from where Mars Estates was. They called it Joe's and Hand's Corner. Uh, it's a corner where the Thunderbird was. It's six blocks from Al Seafood. Uh, it's uh, you know down the street from where Skateland was, back Riverneck Road. So my parents, and I always think of this, Don, and you think of this differently because you grew up with this, but when you think of I Love Lucy and you think of the neighbors, Fred and Ethel and Ricky and Lucy, they were neighbors. I always think of the foursome 
of Mac and Liz, who are my parents, and Tommy and Vera, who are my grandparents, my mother's parents. They were next door neighbors. And as you would picture it in the Eisenhower administration, as you would picture it in the, the late 40s and early 50s in FDR, my father came down from Scranton, Pennsylvania, after standing in soup lines in Herbert Hoover, uh, in, in, after the stock market crash. My father was born in 1919. He came down from Scranton, Pennsylvania to get a job in Martin Marietta uh, during the war. Met my mother at a Washington Senators baseball game at Griffith Park in Washington, D.C. My mother lived in Washington, D.C. with her sister who was in the Navy during the war. And my mom was working uh, um, P- PBX board operator in Washington, D.C., and on a Sunday afternoon, they met at a a Washington Senators game. Crazy. My dad took the train. My dad loved baseball. My dad saw Babe Ruth play in New York, the whole deal. So, uh, So in 1944, my parents met at a baseball game in D.C. They got married at Our Lady at Mount Carmel, right by Pizza John's. Um, in 1945. So they became my parents because they were next door neighbors with my mother's, my grandparents, my maternal grandparents were their best friends. So that when in the 1950s, when my dad cobbled together some money from Martin Marietta, there were row houses being built in Colgate. And my father bought an end unit no basement, much to the chagrin of my mother, all of her life. <laughs> but they bought their house in May of 1953 in Colgate, and my grandparents soon followed and bought a house with a basement on Golf Street. And my grandmother in the 1950s made pizza underground, Italian pizza, uh, in her basement on Golf Street. Uh, in the home that uh, Kevin Smith later occupied uh, and lived in all of his life, a golf street by Zanino's in Colgate. And my grandmother made pizza for everybody in the neighborhood. And my mom and her brother, Norman, who recently passed, delivered the pizzas to, to everybody in the neighborhood. So they, they opened an underground Mamacita Italian pizzeria in the basement in the 1950s. And um, yeah, so that's... That's the Colgate background. I, I, have I lost you yet? The, the, the part here, and if you remember, it was uh, such a, a beautiful service when your mom passed away and your, I guess I'll call them stepbrothers and stepsisters, told the story. And I can remember saying to you and Jen afterwards, I said, Nestor, I, I didn't know all of that because there's this connection where your mom's grandparents basically say, to the mom and dad who raised you, and correct me if I'm wrong, will, will you help, will you raise this young man? I mean, am, am I capturing that correctly? And, and, and the mom and dad who raised you had just experienced their own tragedy. Yeah, so my parents really weren't fit to raise me. Uh, certainly not my mother. My mother was not fit to be a mother. My mother was 19 years old. Uh, you know, my mother had a lot of love and a lot of problems uh, as you know, I, I later learned a lot about my mother's childhood and abuse and just a lot of awful things happened to my mother when she was young, uh, including my grandfather, who was a mean old bastard. Um, her father was the bugler at the racetrack that I talk about, Tommy Arena. Uh, Tommy came from the old country. Tommy never had a father. Tommy ran off into the military. Tommy was born in, in 1907. Tommy ran off in the military after World War I um, and settled in Philadelphia being beaten by his uh, grandfather in Philadelphia. He and his brother um, opened a bakery in South Philly, the Arena family, Arena like the Royal Farms Arena. Uh, That's my grandfather's name, Arena, as he would say. So um, my grandfather was kind of wavered with my mother, as far as I could tell. My grandmother lost her first husband in the war. So my, my mother had a brother, my Uncle Norman, 
his father died in World War II. So when my parents met Vera and Tommy, Vera had lost her husband. Tommy was the second husband. My mother was their only child together. Norman was, uh, was, his last name was Wilson. So he was of another, he had another uh, father. So, you know, the complexity of all of this is much like me having a child before I was capable really of taking care of my son. And, and, and there has been a happy ending much because a village helped raise my son, a village helped raise my mother, <laughs> and a village helped raise me. <laughs> so uh, my parents were not capable of taking care of me. And my mother was just an absolute mess in 1969. In the summer of 1969, my parents, Mac and Liz, lost their 12-year-old son, Kevin, in a drowning incident in, in Delaware. Uh, they went out after a rainstorm and went tubing uh, down a river embankment. He got trapped and drowned in front of the entire family and on the watch of my mother's sister in Delaware. Um, you know, honestly, Don, I, 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 I'm not sure I really thought about it until that day. I don't know that I've thought about it much since then. So well, it, was a, processing it was a remarkable, it, it was a remarkable moment, Nestor, because you're, well, you've known me all my life. <laughs> your step, your stepbrothers and sisters are talking about how, as any of us would be, what a dark place your, the folks who raised you, your mom and dad who raised you were in. And all of a sudden they're asked if they will raise this little boy a few doors down and all of a sudden they're a family well, I wasn't again. a few doors down now so so my parents okay. who raised me raised my mother you know what i'm saying it's like my mother because her father was dysfunctional my parents were a source of my father raised the neighborhood before he lost his son you know what i mean like whatever any anybody who knew my father before his son died would tell you that he raised my uncle Norman. He raised five other kid named Bill in the neighborhood. Who was a real dick. Uh, he, you know, he raised, he looked after children. It's who he was. He, he had a thing. Are you familiar with shelter home? S H on the outside of a home back in the sixties, safe I'm, home. I'm not. There was a neighborhood be, thing called a safe home. You may want to Google it. It was kind of like an orange sign you would put kind of like Christians would put like a fish on the back of their car just to say, I'm, you know, I, that you're safe here. My parents had one of those on the house. I have to find a picture out in front of the house in the early seventies. Uh, and, and, and maybe somebody in old school Baltimore County would have, Maybe Venetoulis would be able, maybe Venetoulis knows about that. You, we, we'll ask him. I'm, next time I'm, we get sure, I'm sure that ask he would, him about well, that. Well, what, so what so my, my father raised my mother and my mother was a freaking mess. Right. So my father raised, uh, 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 you know, two children, two boys and all the kids in the neighborhood you know, my dad loved sports. My dad loved the Orioles, you know. My dad had friends where all of their friends called him Uncle Mac. You know what I mean? He was sort of everybody's uncle, and now his son is dead. His 12-year-old son is dead, and I am sort of a nephew already. I called him Uncle Mac in the 70s. So when I would go places as a little boy, six, seven, eight, nine years old, we're on the, my, my father never drove. So anytime we went to Memorial Stadium, we were on the bus. So we were going out to see Palmer pitch in 76 and I'm seven years old. I called him uncle Mac. So everybody called him uncle Mac, quite frankly. So I didn't start calling him pop until like, you know, I hit puberty, like literally, you know what I mean? He was uncle Mac until I was 12. Well, it's, it's, it's just, it's the kind of story again, we talk about Baltimore Magazine. If you're just joining us, we're chatting with Nestor Aparicio, founder of WNST, celebrating uh, 29 years on the radio. And this is really going to have to be part one because there's so much more 
to talk about. But the story about your mom and dad raising you and, and your dad going to the point every day, I mean, it's such a Baltimore positive story. And I, I think it informs folks to understand your passion for the city and what can be that these truly, you know, we hear them in terms of political terms talk about all of the time about working men and women and working class folks. I mean, your mom and dad embodied that. Your dad got up, carried a lunch pail forever. That was his life, the point. And every day, every (laughs) Every single every single day and making a difference in his community through little league, taking care of other people's kids. I mean, that is truly, I mean, that is truly, you know what, if I really think about this and we'll wrap this up because this is getting long and and you can, you know, feel free to come on and make me cry during the holidays. Uh, And I'm I'm happy to fill in the blanks, you know, uh, in telling the story because my parents were remarkable people, but, you know, I, I guess if I go back and I look through the pictures, I would have to think about, like, let, let's go through the list. You ready? PTA, okay? I've already told you Venetoulis in a big, big way. Like, my dad was political in that way. My dad put a put a cool hand sign up on the lawn, you know, and we went and 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 stumped for John Coolan because he got my father custody of me. Um, through a neighbor we had named Frank Bolk, who was a who was a police officer. So when I think about the people on my street, you know, Mr. Joe Arrigo, who was a black belt in karate, Mr. Uh, uh, Bob Debilius, who died very young, his parents, he worked at the point as a foreman, but he had a real estate company out on, you know, he had real estate signs that my uncle Joe, who literally was insane, and he passed away recently, but lived, he went to Korea in the 50s, came back effed up and was never right. And I think there was a chromosome thing on that side of the family. I'm not in my bloodline, but my, my uncle, he owned uh, 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 hair salons on Mar- Marlin Boulevard in, 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 uh, in Essex and one on Dundalk Avenue in, uh, next to Pinland, believe it or not, that he owned two hair salons in the early. So he couldn't run them, but he ran them that there were always people around trying to pitch Amway, and get rich schemes and, you know, all of that. My dad wasn't really in. My dad was very gullible. My dad always filled that like publisher's clear, you know, all that kind of crap. Like the oval team thing in, in a Christmas story. Right. My father be sure to put drink the hook your in his oval mouth. Team. My father was stupid like that. Like when like <laughs> just the oval team, every year I see it, I'm like, that my dad spent his whole life doing dumb shit like that that came in the mail like literally but he raised but he raised the entire but i'm thinking about all the stuff that he got involved in that like this like if i just thought of all my dad's idiosyncrasies about buying bad life insurance how many nuts and bolts he kept all of his life in the like in the sheds of all the tools that he had and, and like, I bet the tools, Nestor, I'm going to, I know we got to wrap it up. I do have one final question for you. My dad was uh, complex so though. Right. You know what I mean? See if I'm right about this. My dad read and wrote at a very high level. Uh, my dad loved reading. My dad had flashcards for me when I was three years old. I learned to read and write when I was four years old. I mean, I read, I was reading at a seventh grade level in kindergarten and I had your friend Julie Janda on to talk about what a mess was. Now, that's Nestor, not a tribute I, to me. It's a tribute to my father. You know, Nestor, I talk about two of what we'll call these working class men all of the time. And these two gentlemen in my life being among the smartest people I've ever known in my entire life. And I've known some smart people. And that was my grandfather, who was uh, a, a, a locomotive engineer, um, drove a train forever, and my father-in-law, who, like your dad, carried a, a lunch pail to work every day at Texaco in New Jersey. Two of the most well-read, uh, intelligent people who valued education, even though neither one of them had any education beyond high school. It was, it was, that, it was that appreciation of education and the being well-read and the fact that they made sure that their children were going to be well-educated. Well, there's hey, no listen, question I, in, my, in my mind that the point killed my father, you know, that I should have been on the hotline with Peter G. Angelos. And, like, we never did any of that. We never did any of that. My mother never got anything. And, you know, my mother was, getting, was one of those ones getting those checks for 60 bucks that yeah, we talk nope. about who, who completely got screwed. And my father died down there. There's no doubt 
that the work my father did killed him at 72. There's, there's along, no doubt in my mind. Along with thousands of others. Listen, this is part one, but before we let you go, I, I want you to bring a smile to everyone's face. So we, you know, we tape Saturday Night Live because we're old and we can't stay <laughs> up that late on a Saturday night. And right before a recent, uh, right before we turn on the red zone, my, my grandsons were here and we're watching the Saturday Night Live that we had taped. And the boss and the E Street Band are on. And I say to the boys who know you and listen to the show, I say, you know, Mr. Nestor knows them. He's friends with them. And they're going, uh-uh. And I go, yeah, he really is. Talk about your relationship with Niels Lofgren and, and E Street and the boss over the years, how that came about. Let's go out with a holiday smile with you telling everybody about your relationship with the boss and how you've seen him. I feel like times. I should be, uh, I should be hearing the jingle bell, jingle bell. Right. Santa Claus is coming. Santa, to Santa Claus is yeah. coming. You have to ask Scott. He actually White played Carl. that one in Baltimore too. The, the night well, he played. Um, yeah, well, so I was hey, a music Nestor, critic Nestor, in the 80s. Nestor, hold on, hold on. Before sure. you do that, I'm going to dig it out, and we'll have some fun. We'll contact Scott Wyckoff, WBAL, one of the great guys. He did a Bruce version of Santa Claus is Coming into Town at Valley View a couple of years ago uh, when I was county executive. It was absolutely priceless. So I'll, I will send you that. But talk a little bit about how you – First of all, I know you've seen them tell people 9,000 times how you got this connection with Bruce and the E Street Band. Because it's not, most of us don't have that. Well, I don't have a connection to Bruce other than I've, you know, stalked him like a fan a couple times. I, uh, let's see, I, I, in 1986, 87, somewhere in there, I could go back and look the byline up. Uh, I was the music critic. And Nils Lofgren was from a band called Grin, was his famous band in the 70s. And he had just come back from touring with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band on the big tour, the Born in the USA tour. I was not a big Bruce Springsteen fan at that time. I was much more into like Judas Priest and, and you know, and, and Hammer Jacksy kind of music and Van Halen and Journey and Sticks and Rush and all that. Um, I was dispatched to Shriver Hall to review a Nils Lofgren show. And Don Wainer at Upfront Promotions was doing the show. He said, I'll introduce you to Nils after the show. I'm like, oh, sure, I'll come back. And I, so I sat on a couch with Nils Lofgren, and he was a small man like me. And we sat on the couch and talked for an hour about Springsteen. And I wasn't like a Springsteen goober or whatever. I was just trying to do a story. I mean, no different than talking to a hockey player. I mean, he's a rock star, but it wasn't, it wasn't like Getty Lee. It wasn't a guy I was like, oh, my God, I had some of that. But he was just a guy from Bethesda who was in Springsteen's band and was just a wonderfully nice man. And I stayed in touch a little bit, but not a lot. But then they put E Street back together. And at the Super Bowl in New Orleans, after 9-11, I guess it was in that range, we, uh, I was doing my show, and Nils Lofgren walked into the New Orleans Convention Center. And we were doing the show like in the out in the outside, and Scotty P's with me from Amici's. Shout out to Amici's, Amici's. So Scotty P's like, it's Nils Lofgren. I'm like, get him over here. So Scott went over and he streeted him all up, and Nils came over and said, "Can I leave my stuff here all day?" And we're like, "Sure, man." So. Nils kind of sat in and did radio with us during day. And that was like Thursday. The next morning he showed up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to hang out with you guys and have coffee. So he came over, put his feet up, <laughs> put his stuff in. He was pimping a John Madden CD that he did. He did a CD of music for football with John Madden. And he was there to promote it for two days. And he loves New Orleans. And so I have pictures and I have all the audio of those conversations. And Scotty P's like, dude, we were over in Europe and we were in Amsterdam. And, and Niels is like, so I was smoking hash in the, oh, God, I can't say that on the radio. Oh, my. So, you know, so it's like all these stories that came out. And Niels, that week, there's a thing called Taste of the NFL. And Niels was down there with his wife. And I said, hey, man, you know, your E Street band, Wayne Kostrowski was in this great band in the, in, in the Midwest back in the say he's a rock and roll guy. He would love to have you there. He's like, oh man, I'd love to do that. I love to eat. My wife loves to cook. So that 
That night, we went to Taste of the NFL with Nils and Amy, his wife. My wife has now met Amy and like whatever. So that's how I got to know Nils. So, so that's, I haven't been asked that story, but I guess that's that. So it really began 20 years ago, but it really began almost 30 years ago. And over the course of time, he lives in Arizona and he comes on when I ask and, um, you know, he's a wonderful man. And so what's the, over, a lot of good things. <laughs> what's the over under you've seen Bruce over or under 100 times under, but getting close. <laughs> well, we'll have to celebrate the big 100. 29 years, December 13th, 1991. Incredible career in radio. My friend, my former student, my buddy, Nestor Aparicio. Incredible career. We're going to come back after the holidays for part two. We're going to talk about rejection letters. We're going to talk about the growth of WNST. We're going to talk about props for the second piece. Am I going to to be able to hold stuff up? Props for the second piece. You know what I found? I want to hold this up for you. And you tell me if you remember this, because I I went into the Wayback Machine. Do you remember this? I do. The dump Trumpy signs. So I have all sorts of like you know, the memor- signs the, and stuff I can do the here. Memorabilia. You know? But many thanks to all of our sponsors, uh, Fadley, State Fair, El Guapo, Franco's, Moeller and Gary Realtors. Tell them the orders my right? Wine Camp and Wine Camp Attorneys, Outstanding Family Attorneys, and of course, the Taharka Brothers Ice Cream Sale still going on. Incredible sale. You won't believe it. $15.70 cents off. Nestor, where can they hear us? We are WNST.net, AM 1570 Taos in Baltimore. This is my life, your life. We'll get back to uh, intelligent conversations in Baltimore Positive right after this.